Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. What you're about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are spending the summer in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a big word, but it simply means repetition of the law or a repeating of the law. It is a book comprised of a series of sermons Moses gave the people of God before they were to enter the promised land. They had spent 40 years wandering. It was a time of formation, identity, and unexpected lessons. These divine words come to us out of the wilderness. Uh, My name is Cameron. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Uh, It is so good to to be here with you. Um, As Jared said, I'm at McDowell Mountain. I'm a pastor there. I've been there for five years as a pastor. Uh, And and so for five years, and I guess, how, how long has Desert City been? Almost four years. I have been praying for you for four years. And so it's cool to be here in person and to see it in action. We have uh, our Sunday gig, too, at McDowell. So, so I'm not usually able to come, but it's so good, good to be here. Uh, they, let, they said, hey, you can go this week. And I, I do need to let you know that Jared and I, uh, we're good friends. I, I love your pastor. We disagree on one point, And it's the fact that when you walk into a coffee shop... What's the one drink you order? He says it's black drip coffee. I said, no, it's a cappuccino or a latte. Okay, because drip drip coffee is like the machine doing all the work, and the cappuccino is like the barista doing all the work. Am I right? I think uh, our friendship can still survive, but we we do need to... uh, but the cold brew is good, too. So great job, cold brew. That's fine. Trip coffee, coffee's fine, but I'm a, I'm a latte guy. And uh, so you'll find that out about me. Also, so you guys were on this trip to Costa Rica. Uh, I just got back from our trip with McDowell from the Dominican Republic. And so I think it's amazing that you guys have created this partnership with a community that you're going to year after year. I, McDowell's been going for almost 10 years. I think 10 years this was the trip. And... It's amazing when you can invest in a community over a long period of time. And it does change you, but also when you go back, the, the, the boundaries are not there. They're lowered. And so you're able to actually do more and more work every time you go. And so it was amazing. And I just want to say, you guys have an amazing church. You have an amazing pastor. You're doing awesome things. And we hear about it. And so, you know, it seems like, oh, we're just meeting in school, kind of doing our thing. No, you're doing awesome things. And so if, if nothing else, I just want to encourage you today that this is an awesome church. And I'm thankful that you're a part of it. I'm thankful that you're here. And uh, thanks for letting me be uh, a part of part of it this morning too. So um, you've been in the series called Out of the Wilderness, and today we're going to jump into, I think, kind of like the final week. And so you've been in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to fast forward to a book in the New Testament. Uh, but first, sharks. <laughs> right, shark week. Um, somebody told me a joke. I'm going to tell you it's lame. Um, this is the best week of the year to go buy a, a house because all the sharks are on the Discovery Channel, so it's easy to get a loan, right? Right? Oh, man, I'm sorry. It's like all of a sudden I had two kids, and like my jokes got worse and worse. It's like the dad joke things just uh, keep coming back. But um, no, sharks. I want to tell you a quick story about sharks because I grew up in Kansas, which is the epicenter of the continental United States. 
we're equidistant from the West Coast and the East Coast. And I grew up terrified of sharks. How irrational is that? Am I right? Like, there's no body of water anywhere close that we're, there, I would interact with a shark, but I grew up terrified of sharks. Why? I don't know. I can't ever explain it. But uh, I decided a few years ago, when we moved to, to Arizona, we're only five hours from the coast or six hours from the coast, like, okay, let's start going to California. And so I decided, uh, I was always a skateboarder back in the day, like, I'm going to conquer my fear. I'm going to go surfing. Surfing sounds awesome. And I did. And I was super proud. I got lessons and, and I did surfing for a while. And the next year we went back. I was excited to go surfing again. And um, the, the town of San Clemente, they closed the beach because sharks were there. <laughs> and they said, oh, it's not a big deal. They're adolescent. The difference between an adolescent and a full-grown shark is 10 feet versus 12 feet, right? They're still capable of eating you. But this is a shark off the coast the the year that they kind of closed the beach. And I kind of looked at this picture. I'm like, that doesn't look that bad. But in my mind, this is what, right? Oh, terror, terrifying, like to get in the water. And so I decided, oh, I'm not going to go surfing where I normally do. I'm going to go and do a stand-up paddleboard. So I went to Dana Point, and I went kind of paddleboarding out, and I went around this buoy and, and started coming back. And then there's this guy. It's like he should be a character in, like, Seinfeld. He had this, like, rice hat, and he was sitting there with his dog in a little motorboat. And he's like, hey, did you hear about the sharks? And I'm like, yeah, they closed the beach. And here I am, you know, paddling. And he goes, no, right back there, there was a, they just spotted a 10-foot great white right by the buoy. <laughs> Like, all of a sudden, my arms got shaky, and I'm like, okay, I got to get back, you know? And, um, and I tell you that story um, because, because I think that a lot of times, sharks, to me, embody wilderness, right? You're in their habitat, and we don't think about that a lot of times. So after this, I, you know, I went back, and there's a fire where I stay, and they kind of, um, everybody circles up around the fire at night, and we kind of share stories about the day. And it's kind of a cool spot that we go in San Clemente. And every year there's an Australian. I don't know. Australians love California, which I think is great. So there's an Australian there. And, and he looked at me and he said, we were talking about the sharks. I said, oh, you know, they closed the beaches. So I went, you know, I was telling him the story. And he said, well, you know, mate, because that's what they say. <laughs> well, you know, mate, they're always there. It's just whether or not you want to acknowledge it or not. Right? And that truth stuck with me that we're in their space. They're always there. It's just, in my mind, I'm thinking of a terrifying shark. But they're not. We're, you know, they're, they're not trying to eat us unless you're a white, skinny boy like me. And then they just come and not like fresh meat. That's what they want to eat. That's what I think about. But I think what's, what's fascinating when we start thinking about the wilderness is that in Genesis, God created a garden. And it was beautiful. And it was, it was good, right? And he put humans in the garden. But then through sin and rebellion, the world got invaded with sharks. The world became a wild place to live. And so I know you've been in this story about Deuteronomy and that you know, the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness. And, and it's kind of about out of the wilderness they're coming and God kind of gives them this, this, this hope, this dream that he has for them. As you enter this new land, kind of this new garden area, I have a dream for you, and here's how to live. 
But what I have found in my life is that the wilderness follows me. Does it follow you? And this is crazy. So the world in which we live, the most technologically advanced society ever, um, we have access to more information and things than we ever have before through our, our iPhones and apps. The wilderness, we, we, we tend to think of it as somewhere out there or somewhere we've been through or a season we've been through. But the reality is that the wilderness is encroaching on our lives. The wilderness has made its way into our living rooms. It's made it, its way into our hearts. It's easy to think about a wilderness as someplace we used to be or a distant place. It's much more challenging to think about how we deal with the wilderness that's invading our lives. And when I think about that, I was thinking about how, how would Jesus deal with that? It can't just be us, right? It can't just be us that are dealing with this idea of a wilderness. And so I came across a story. We're going to be in John 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to John 4. And uh, we're going to fast forward into the New Testament, this wilderness. And we're going to look at, uh, there's two characters in the story. And I want you to kind of identify, okay, which character am I? And then there's some encouragement, some things, four things I want to point out in this story. But I do want to just kind of summarize this story first for us. And so Jesus is walking. He's baptized. And... um, And he then assembles a group of guys, right? 12 guys, 12 disciples. And they begin baptizing people kind of in the Judean countryside, which is the wilderness. And so they're going from the wilderness back to Galilee. Okay, so you've got to go kind of from this wilderness, the Judean countryside, back to Galilee. They're making their way. And they encounter a woman. And actually, the disciples are getting food, and Jesus encounters a woman. And I love this story in John 4. I'm just going to kind of summarize it. Your homework for this week is to go back, just read it, think about it, and, and think about what we're talking about today, and like, okay, what is the story teaching me? So they encounter this woman, and, or Jesus encounters this woman, and he's tired, and he's thirsty, which I think is awesome, first off, like that our Jesus is so human that he's tired, and he's thirsty, and he asks her for a drink. And she says, why are you asking me for a drink? Don't you know that, like, I'm a Samaritan woman, <laughs> you know? Like, and Jesus sees her, and, and he asks her for a drink of water, and, and she says, um, here, I'll just read a piece of this. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she goes on to say, well, I want this living water so that I don't have to come back to the well. <laughs> she sees it in such a, a, a different perspective than what Jesus is really talking about. We have, the, we have the vantage point that we can see that Jesus is talking about himself, right? I can give you a drink that's living water. But she, she kind of misses the point. And Jesus answered her again, everyone who drinks this water 
that you give will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's where she says, like, I want this. And he says, go, bring your husband and come back. Some of you may know this story, right? This is is a popular story. We've heard this in the church. What's fascinating at this point is, is that Jesus knows that it's not just, she doesn't just have a husband. She's had five. And the man she's with now is not her husband, right? And then Jesus still engages her in a conversation. And so I, I love this. I'll read one more section here. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. The woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. She's directing the conversation back to religion. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's a place. Okay? It's a place. Jerusalem. That's where you worship. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. It's a relationship with God is what he's saying there. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and the truth. The woman replies, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said, that's me. I am he. So I'm going to dive into this story and and look at four things that we can learn uh, from Jesus in it. But I first want us to notice that this is a Samaritan woman, unnamed in scripture. We don't have her name. And she's coming at noon to get water. What that means is that she's unwanted. She doesn't have community. You wouldn't go in the midday at noon to get water. The people, only people are doing that are the people who are kind of outcasts. They don't have community because you don't want to go in the middle of the day to get water. You want to go in the morning or in the evening when it's cool, not in the heat of the day. She's unnamed. You know, in, in this time, this day and age, there was nothing kind of lower on the totem pole than an unnamed woman. Actually, children were lower, which is crazy to me. But she was an unnamed woman, and she was Samaritan. And Samaria and, and Israel, so Samaria was part of Israel, but when the Assyrians came and took over and sent the Israelites into exile, they ended up intermarrying with the Samaritans and created kind of a half-breed of people. And, and so the Jewish people said, well, we don't want to interact with the Samaritans because, because they're not ethnic, ethnically pure, right? They're not, they're not the people of this place, of Jerusalem, and, and they worship on that mountain. And so something very fascinating here is happening. Jesus... This is my first point. Jesus sees her. Jesus sees this woman for who she is, made in the image of God. You're not defined by your racial impurity. You're not defined by your sin and the impurity of being with six men. You're not defined by being just a woman, an unnamed woman, which at this time, you know, the rabbis wouldn't associate with women. They wouldn't be found in a relationship. You're not defined by that. Jesus says, I see you, and I care about you. When we're dealing with the wilderness of the world, right, encroaching all around us, 
Do we have the eyes to see the world as Jesus sees the world? As people made in the image of God. I love John 1 where it says, uh, Eugene Peterson's version, the message says that God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He pursues us. He loves us. He cares about us. And he moves into a relationship just like Jesus did with this woman. It doesn't matter where you've been or what what sin has been in your past or what you're going through right now. It doesn't matter the categories that people are defining you as. What matters is that you're made in the image of God and Jesus loves you. That's the same message you take to Costa Rica. That's the same message you take to the Dominican Republic. It's the same message that all of us need to hear and need to be reminded of each and every day that God loves us. And he showed us that in the very fact that he sent Jesus to take on flesh and bone and become our neighbor. It's fascinating to me. I love this quote by, by John Tyson. This is one of your pastor's favorite pastors and authors. I know well. Jesus is God's constant reminder that the creator is present. He hasn't abandoned the world, but invites us to be present with him in it. Not only is God present, but he invites us to be present. So in this story, some of you might be thinking, okay, am I the Samaritan? Or am I supposed to be Jesus in this? And that's where I say, what stage of life are you in right now? Do you need to know that God sees you, God loves you, he cares about you? Or do you need to maybe become the Christ figure in this story and say, there's a whole world out there in which the wilderness is encroaching in, and I'm called to see people, not categories, not boundaries. I'm called to see people. Does that make sense? The second thing that's fascinating to me about this interaction is it is an ordinary, everyday conversation. It's an ordinary, everyday conversation. Uh, There are roughly 132 interactions that Jesus has in the gospel account. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is 132 interactions with people, okay, some sort of conversation. Six of those are in the temple, the Jewish temple, that the lady's talking about. You guys go to the temple and worship, right? And we go on this hill. Four of those interactions are in the synagogue. The other 122 interactions are with people in the everyday, ordinary moments of life. That's a huge chunk of Jesus's ministry that he's just interacting with people every day, having conversations Edward T. Welch, who's a Christian psychologist, says says this, God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in the kingdom. I love that. He's pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love. And I need to be reminded of that, 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 you know what, it's easy for us to think that you know what, they're, they're doing awesome things over there and they're doing awesome things over there and like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm just kind of going day by day and I have kids, I feel like we're just a, a birthing center right now in our house and like, like, God, what have you called me to? 
we still haven't caught up with, with your pastor. So we're, we're on our way. Um, he's told me they have like 20 kids in their small group, which is amazing. I'm just thinking about that. Um, so God has called us to pay attention, to see the world as he does. But then also to not miss the ordinary conversations each and every day of our lives. That's his method, right? The framework is you're made in the image of God. The method is that I'm going to go into the world and have ordinary conversations. I love this. So I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, there's a lady named Reina. I am terrible at Spanish. Probably even worse than you are at Spanish. But I... I um, I can roll my R, so that gets me somewhere. So Reina, I went up. Um, part of the, our time in the Dominican, we would go and do house visits, and we just get to know people. And one of the house visits, they said, you should go to Reina's house. So I did. I went to Reina's house. There, there she is. Sorry, this is a terrible picture. We, nobody thought to get a picture of this moment, right? Um, so I went to Reina's house. We were inside her house. She invited us in, and, which I think is amazing in and of itself. Um, the team was talking about in Costa Rica, they just, you know, just stop. They have ordinary conversations. Shouldn't we be doing the same thing? And she says, come in. And it's like her floor is just dirt, right? There's one picture on the wall, and it's like nothing. But somehow she, she wrangled up enough chairs for us all to sit in her family room. And, and I just started listening to her and asking questions. And turns out that... Raina's husband had just left the family. And she had four kids in a small, remote village of the Dominican Republic. She has no income. She had no shoes on her feet. And so I asked her, like, how are you getting by? Like, what are you doing to, to watch out for you and your family? And she said, every day at three, I've been invited to a Bible study where we sit around and we talk, and that's given me strength. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, my mind is blown that you are in these circumstances, and yet you're meeting, you're gathering together with your friends every day to have a conversation about how do we live in the midst of the trials and the wilderness that's encroaching all around us. And so I said, you know, I, do you have a Bible? I don't know what in my mind said, I, you know, do you have a Bible? And she said, no, I've been using my friends. And I said, Raina, you're not going to believe this. And this is all through a translator, right? I said, Raina, you're not going to believe this. I brought a Bible in Spanish. And it's in my backpack. I just need to go grab my backpack and I'll bring it back to you. And we were able to come. We signed the Bible. And this is the moment where we handed the Bible to her. And you guys, tears streaming down her face. I would have never known if it wouldn't have been for just a conversation through a translator. You know, like God can do amazing things through ordinary moments where she now is walking away saying, I have a Bible. These people love me. They care about me. They come back year after year after year and have ordinary conversations with us and we're changing the world, right? If you don't see yourself like that, you should. You are the hands and feet of Jesus and all it takes is an ordinary conversation 
Just open your eyes to see the world around you. I need to be reminded of this all the time. This was easy for me. We're on a mission trip, right? When I go to the coffee shop and they mess up my latte, not so easy, right? Um, but we still, we, we interact with the world around us. And that's what Jesus calls us to do in the wilderness of our lives. So the method is ordinary conversations. I love this too. Just one quick other thought about this, ordinary conversations, is that um, there's three times it says, Jesus came to. Actually, the Son of Man came to. How would you finish that sentence? The Son of Man came to... Say it again. Save. Save, yeah. That's one of them. Seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And third, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So three times it talks about Jesus coming in the Bible. I think that's amazing. Two of them are about his mission. One of them is about his method. It's conversations. It's eating. It's sitting around the table. It's inviting people in so that you can see them face to face, just like he did with the Samaritan woman, and says, I see you. I love you. And it doesn't always have to lead to church or the Bible, it can just be getting to know people, just listening and asking questions. You'll be amazed at how often those conversations come back to, well, you know, are you part of a church or, you know, where, and it's like, that's my opportunity to share my story and what's going on in, in my life. I think that's so cool. So the third thing that I think is cool about this story with the Samaritan woman is that Jesus uses her definition of worship and he turns it into an opportunity to talk about a spirit empowered people maybe you missed it let's, let's just quickly Jesus says yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And he's using her language. She's the one that said, we, you know, we worship here, you worship there. And Jesus uses the opportunity to talk about how his vision for the future is that we would be a people in the world, lots of places, not just Jerusalem, but throughout the world who are interacting in small pockets around us. Colossians 4. I think this is an earlier slide, but I, I, this is a great time to use this. Colossians 4. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive. The word there in Greek is actually seasoned with salt so that you will have the right response for everyone. And Jesus goes on in Matthew to say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light on the hill. His vision of the future is that we would be small pockets of seasoned salt in the world. We would be a people marked by love and ordinary conversations in the world in which we live. It's not a temple. It's not a place. It's out into the world. We become a people empowered by the Spirit. Jesus says, I, in John 15, I have to go. I have to leave so that the Spirit can come. That's his vision. That's his goal. So his framework, just to sum up, his framework is he sees people. His method is ordinary conversations around the table. His goal is that we all would take that method into the world in which we live. And here's the fourth point. 
It's for the sake of others. It's the last verse I'm going to read here in John 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, that is Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. That was her testimony, right? That's one line. You think your testimony has to be two, five minutes. No, it can just be one line, Fernando. (laughs) So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days, which I think is awesome. Jesus just said, yeah, I'll stay. And because of his words, many more became believers. It's for the sake of others. Right? A lot of times it's so hard to have conversations because we're thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about my story, thinking about my uncomfortability. The reality is, is that if we just see people for who they are, made in the image of God, have ordinary conversations with love, and wherever you go, wherever God takes you, whether it's here, Costa Rica, the DR, Flagstaff, Mesa, wherever you go, then God does the heavy lifting, right? Jesus is the one, but it's for the sake of others. We have to have an others-centered view of the world in which we live. So imagine, back, I'm sitting at this fireplace with these guys talking about sharks. Imagine if the Australian would have said, there's nothing to be afraid of. Let's go tomorrow, and I'll show you. I'll surf with you. Right? I'll show you there's nothing to be afraid of. Imagine if you would have said that. In the same way, at the end of this Dominican Republic mission trip that I went on, we were sitting around kind of debriefing together, and I looked around the the circle, sitting around a fire, which is ironic, that we're sitting around a fire, and I looked around, and I saw people that were tired, they were uh, sweaty and humid and exhausted, much like the team was here, but the reality is I saw world changers sitting around that circle, because they just had ordinary conversations with people and they're leaving this village that says that was not just ordinary. That was extraordinary because you brought the love of Christ into our neighborhood. Just like Jesus sees us and his love enters into our story and into our neighborhood. And Jesus ends this this section, or actually in the middle of this section, Jesus says, My food, right, my goal, my task is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a framework and a method and a vision for the future. And my goal is to just do the will of my father to enable you to go out from this place. And his work was hard because he had to go on the cross, right? He had to go on the cross and give his life as a ransom for many to seek and save the lost. But how did he do it? He came eating and drinking, interacting with the people all around us. And so for you, just a couple practical things for you as we close. Maybe you need to have conversations and be a peaceful presence in the world around you. Okay? Just simple. Just be, have conversations. Maybe for you, the goal is to become rooted in Christ and community. 
Because the wilderness is out there. We need to have a community that can build us up and send us out. I need to become rooted in Christ so that I can well up with the spring of life, is what it says in here, that I can well up and pour out into others. Maybe for you, it's allow your everyday, ordinary life to be a kind of worship, right? To be a worship where it's not just here or there, it's everywhere. See, Jesus incarnated God just as the church is supposed to incarnate the spirit everywhere we go. Maybe it's just your Jesus with skin on everywhere and your life becomes of worship. And maybe for you, it's just simply sharing your story. How Jesus has changed you, the sharks you've encountered, and how in the midst of that, you're learning to have faith and still go into the waters and walk because Christ has given us strength, right? And maybe for you, you came in, you're like, I didn't know they were even going to talk about Jesus today, right? But you need to know that Jesus is doing the same thing for you. He sees you. He loves you. He's having ordinary conversations. He's pursuing you in a relationship. And most of all, most importantly, he died on the cross for you, self-sacrificial love. And so we're going to respond today with a time of worship as the band comes up and leads kind of one last song. Um, this will be kind of the close. Thanks for being patient with us today. I know it's a long Sunday. But the bread and the cup represent the body that was broken by Christ and the blood that was poured out for us because it cares so deeply about each and every one of us. And he's engaging us in the ordinariness of our lives. And so we, we take the bread and we drink the cup, remembering that Jesus drew near and he's present with us each and every day. And that's why we remember each time we gather together that it's all about Jesus and it's all about what he did for us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your incredible, radical love, how you pursue us, how you engage us in the ordinary moments of our lives. Thank you for giving so much and sometimes requiring so little of us. But Father, we just acknowledge you today. Help us, no matter if we're the Samaritan woman or we're learning to be seasoned salt in the world in which we live, no matter where we find ourselves with the wilderness encroaching around us, help us to be people of peace and presence and life and light as we remember that you've done that for us. In Jesus' name, amen.